0: Hey, welcome to Night School. I was reading this uh, Scandinavian history book I have. You know, it's funny, because so much of what people think of when they hear Scandinavian history is just the so-called Viking Age. And it's amazing that Vikings are so popular in pop culture. Popular in pop culture. When you just think about how brutal they are, and there's this acceptance of Vikings you know there's this acceptance of vikings where other things that follow the exact same you know rape and pillage idea like people get really upset about colonialism and even depictions of colonialism from the past several hundred years are almost too much for people to bear or if if they do depict some sort of you know, somewhat modern colonialism. Uh, And by modern, I mean the last few hundred years. Uh, If if there's any depiction of that era of colonialism, it's almost like, give it a disclaimer. It either has to have a disclaimer, it has to be educational, or it has to be, you know, definitely a negative depiction of colonialism. But a lot of people don't even want to see it then. It's hard for people to bear. And I understand why. I'm not saying, why do people have a hard time with colonialism, with depictions of colonialism? You know, it's not like I don't understand why people feel that way. But it's funny to me that Vikings, who, you know, practiced a much more brutal form of colonialism, are seen as almost these folk heroes. I mean, one of the most popular Marvel superheroes is. I mean, Thor. I'm not going to call Thor a Viking. He's a god. But still, people associate Vikings with Thor. And there are television shows about Vikings, which I don't watch. But I assume that they're not just bad. I'm sure they're not just disclaimers that are educating you on the brutal colonialism of Vikings. I'm sure that's a part of it. We all know what Vikings did. But still, there's this general acceptance of Vikings, and when people think about Scandinavian history, their minds immediately go to that era. It's almost like there's this lost zone between the Viking Age, the so-called Viking Age, and modern Scandinavia, where it's like there were the Vikings, and now we have this uh, pseudo-socialist utopia... And there's a lot in between. So this book that I've been reading, I got it as a gift a little over a year ago. And I've been slowly working my way through it with breaks here and there. Because a lot of it's kind of boring. A lot, I mean, it's all interesting, but a lot of it is kind of dry. It's very much like reading a history book in school, which is good. And that's the point I'm getting at. Uh, this b- book is filling in a lot of gaps, It tells you why and how Scandinavian culture developed, uh, every country in Scandinavia. And it's interesting to read, though, because I mean, even just that idea, I call it pseudo-socialist because people often look at Scandinavia and they say... Why are you afraid of socialism in the U.S.? Because look what they're doing in Scandinavia. <laughs> look what they're doing in Scandinavia. You know, people have this this go-to line that they say about Scandinavian socialism, and it's interesting to read about how that developed and how it, you know it just it de- it developed from just people in those harsh countries having to band together and look at look after each other's health care and it started, you know, long before words like communism and socialism were even a thing. Because it turns out, you know, communities of people banding together to help each other and to take care of each other and forming some sort of crude institutional framework for doing that. It turns turns out that goes back way deeper. Goes back way deeper than just oh, Scandinavians decided to mimic uh, Soviet socialist healthcare policies, and now they're they're really good at it. And it turns out it's a little deeper and more complicated than that. Turns out people find these ideas on their own for all kinds of reasons, not just because they read Karl Marx. So uh, this book is interesting on that level. Uh but I'm not going into Scandinavian history here. Uh I, what made me want to do an episode is they talk about the pillory. Which it's amazing how common that was. Somebody created that idea. They were like, let's lock somebody's fingers in this wooden structure. Let's put their head or their hands. I mean, there's different variations of it. It's not a true pillory. It's not a true pillory if it doesn't if if their fingers aren't locked in it. No. I believe that anything where, any part of your arms, hands, head, neck, I don't know about legs, uh, any part of you is locked into this wooden structure, I believe it counts as a pillory. I don't know if there are subcategories of pillories. Uh, subcategories of pillories. That would be a good book. Um But, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's subcategories of pillories, but everybody should know what a pillory is. P-I-L-L-O-R-Y. Like the children's song. (laughs) P-I-L-L-O-R-Y. That'd be a great children's song. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't even surprise me if, like, 500 years ago, there was a children's song where they just spell out pillory and talk about pillories. It was entertainment. It was a form of entertainment. But yeah, in this Scandinavian history book, they were talking about the pillory. And uh, it is funny to me, though, that that was such a, a universal idea throughout Europe, maybe elsewhere. I don't know if it made its way to you know, Asia or... Africa, or if they had variations of it there, but it was widespread throughout Europe, and it's pretty amazing to me that even though there are these variations, these subcategories of pillory, like somebody thought, oh, let's lock his just his fingers at the knuckle. Uh, oh, let's, let's put his whole head in. Let's put his whole arms in. Uh, it, it's funny to me, though, that that was so popular and that somebody saw that in one country and was like, you know what, let's, let's use that. Let's adopt that. That'd be a great way to punish these guys who keep causing trouble. We got all these troublemakers because that's what it comes down to is everybody had the same, uh, <laughs> everybody had the same resource, and that is troublemakers. We all had the same quote unquote resource, and we had to do something with it. And it turns out the pillory was a great thing to do with this resource of troublemakers, this supply of troublemakers. Uh, and uh, the pillory was such a good idea that, you know, I'm sure they invented troublemakers. They invented trouble so that people could make that trouble and therefore deserve the pillory because it was so entertaining. It was so entertaining to lock someone up and allow the public to look upon them, to scream at them, and to throw things. But a lot of people agreed. A lot of societies agreed. Culture agreed. It was multicultural. You know, there's this tendency to paint Europe with this broad brush, like it's all one culture, white Europe. And it's like, no, I mean, you know, all these countries It's multicultural. And, uh, you know, the the pillory was a multicultural phenomenon, and we've gotten rid of it, you know, it's not quite a guillotine, I mean, because it's easy to associate the pillory with a guillotine because we know that you stick your head in both, and the big difference is, is you don't lose your head in the pillory, you lose your mind. That's the big difference between the pillory and the guillotine is that in one you lose your head in the other you lose your mind. But we decided that that was un you know uncool at the very least. It was the pillory was uncool. Lock them in a cage. Lock them in a, in a tiny cage where they're going to be subjected to all kinds of inhumane treatment. But the pillory no. Lock them in in a tiny little cage where they just have room for a bed and a toilet. But, you know, if you lock them in a pillory, that's not cool. And thinking of pillories, too, you know, the idea was that people would throw rotting fruit. I don't know if they threw other things, but the idea is basically people would hurl insults at them and throw things at them. They would just abuse them mentally and physically. And I don't know if, you know... I don't know if you were, like, would you get in a pillory if you threw something that would hurt the guy? Like, if you threw a rock, because, I mean, the idea is that the guy's locked into this pillory, and you're not trying to hurt him physically too bad. I mean, I imagine being bent over, and, I mean, let me just say that real quick. Even though it's this thing where you're, like, upper body, parts of your upper body are locked in, I don't know if your legs, I think there were some where your legs might be too, and you're in this kind of weird position where your legs are like sticking out, and your body's just kind of sitting there, but I know a lot of them forced you to stand, uh, but I don't know, uh, they tend to, tended to be an upper body thing, your upper body is locked in, Uh, But anyway, yeah, I don't know if there were rules about, like, what you could throw. Like, if you threw a rock, would you then get put in the pillory yourself? Because a rock could really hurt somebody. Not that food wouldn't hurt them at all, but still, the idea is to throw things that would humiliate them, disgusting things that would humiliate them and uh, damage them psychically. But you'd, you know, the punishment wasn't to kill them or to maim them that I know of. So it's not like people threw rocks or anything that would severely hurt the person. But I don't know if there were social rules about the pillory either. You know, were the was the public limited as far as what they could throw at them? I doubt they were limited as far as what they could say. They could probably say anything. And uh, more often than not, I'm sure that was just making noises Ooh, you know, what kind of noises do you make at someone who's in the pillory? And do you know why they're there? Is it well known to everybody in the public, in the town square, why they are there? Is it well known? That's part of the children's song, Pillory, that I was singing earlier. It's like, when someone is pilloried in the town square, does the public know why they're there? P-I-L-L-O-R-Y. I should write children's songs. The pillory song. Let's sing the pillory song. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I don't know what kind of standards, what kind of rules were there as far as public conduct surrounding the person who was pilloried. I just have to imagine that they couldn't decide to maim that person or to to really hurt them. Uh, But uh, people thought it was a good idea to put people in there. Put them in the pillory. Um, But uh, it made me think about, like, I don't know when that went out of use. I don't know when they decided that the pillory is no longer acceptable. Because it does seem really bad. I mean, the idea of being in one seems really bad. The idea of seeing someone in the, you know, imagine going downtown and walking by City Hall. And on, on City Hall steps, there's just somebody in a pillory. And you feel compelled to make a noise at them or to say something to them. And I mean do you insult them very specifically? I mean do you hurl an insult that's very specific about like you know you're bald, you're fat, you're uh you're ugly. You know do you say something like that to them? Do you say something to them about their crime assuming you know it? Or do you just make noises? Cuz my idea of it is you know I feel like in when I've seen pillories in movies and stuff it's just a crowd of people jeering and making noises. Uh, but what noise do you make at somebody who's in that? You know, is it just something that is it, is it a noise that you didn't know you could make until you actually see somebody in a pillory, and then that noise just comes out of you? It becomes activated. Oh yeah, seeing somebody in a pillory, it act, it activated this noise I didn't know I could make. But it had me think about yeah, the the pillory has gone out of use there is no longer a physical pillory that we put someone in in the public square. But I do feel like that idea is still there. And when we do try to attack people and drag them down publicly, celebrities in particular, politicians and celebrities, there is this sort of metaphysical pillory that we put them in. And it seems like as our... As the crimes have become more abstract, it seems that the punishment has become more abstract too, and we do put people in this metaphysical pillory, and you see it online in particular. So it's as we've developed the means, which is to lock somebody in metaphysically, uh, we've you know created this sort of uh, metaphysical pillory effect, and when someone says the wrong thing or thinks the wrong thing or we think that they think the wrong thing, there is a tendency to put them in that situation. But it's also voluntary on the part of this, the alleged troublemaker. It's also, there's also a voluntary aspect to this, and you can see it online, where you know someone has to create an account to post things online. They have to voluntarily step into the public sphere, even if they're not a public person. You know, anybody who ends up in this position where they are getting, you know, where they've been placed in some kind of metaphysical pillory, and I don't know what else to call it. it was, It's not a psychic pillory because it's involving actual communication. It's not all just going on inside people's heads. Even though the effect is very much psychic, even though the effect is very much internal and psychological, and there is something going on that's unspoken, it's very much based on real communication. So even though the pillory itself isn't real, uh, everything else about it is. Everything else about it is tangible, even if it's not physical but i don't know what else to call it other than the metaphysical pillory because we know what a physical pillory is so what's another way of looking at this and it's a metaphysical pillory but it is somewhat voluntary you know and if it's not voluntary you know putting yourself in the metaphysical pillory isn't so much voluntary as the possibility is it's like people enter this public sphere where they know that that's one possibility. It's one possibility if you're willing to be provocative, for one. And I don't think that people should be... I don't think the response to people should be to put them in this metaphysical pillory. I don't think that that is the proper response. But it does seem to be something that's ingrained in us. And the fact that we do attack people on Twitter... We, meaning me. Of course. I'm including myself in that we. You should just see me on Twitter. You should just see me going wild at people on Twitter. No, when I say we, I mean all these people who are doing this. So I don't know why I'm including myself in that. Because we're all connected, man. If everybody's doing it, I'm doing it too. No, but uh, the, the way that we do attack people online... The way that people do act in comment sections, the way that people do respond to public figures or anybody for that matter who does the wrong thing in some abstract way. The way that we respond to that is very much the same as people—it's very much the same response that people had to somebody who was in that old-time medieval physical pillory. And when you see some of these things people say, they aren't really that much different than just making a sound. They might have typed something. They, they might have typed something. I mean, sometimes they just use, you know, emoticons, emojis, whatever, but uh, sometimes they just post an image. They'll respond to somebody with a, a gif of a reaction. So it's not really that much different than people just making noises in response to somebody in the town square who has been pilloried, and so it's really not that much different, even though you don't have this wooden structure. And so th- that tells me, not like like rather than. Have this come across like I'm deeply criticizing all of these people for responding this way. I'm looking at it more from the perspective of, oh, this is what people do. This is what groups of people do. This is what. It's weirder now because it's not just, you know, a community of people in the town. It's this weird, you know, these sub-communities, kind of like how, you know, I'm wondering if there are subcategories of pillories. I mean, there certainly are subcategories of pillories, because there are different kinds of pillories. Uh, but there are these sub-communities of people that some of them intersect, some of them are separate, uh, you know. And so things have gotten weirder in that way, too, where it's not just the people of the town jeering and abusing and throwing things at a person fr- from within their own community who has done some perceived wrong. It's, you know, it's way more complicated than that now with the metaphysical pillory. You know, and the reasons why people try to put somebody in that invisible pillory are much different. And let's see how many times I can say the word pillory in this episode. Let's see how many times. I'm not going to count, but I would love it if somebody did. It's a great, you know, interaction thing. It's a great interactive game that you can play. Um, Count how many times he says pillory. And let's put him in the pillory if he says it too many times. You've been placed in the pillory for using the word pillory too many times on your podcast about pillories. Place him in the pillory for saying the word pillory. That's kind of where we're at, though. I mean, that doesn't feel that much different than the reasons why people are put in the metaphysical pillory. It is for saying words. It is for saying the wrong word, or you know, using or, or trying. You know, it's it's not even using the using a word. It's just you know, it's how you're perceived but so much of it is just based on pure communication. I guess that's what I'm getting at. It may not be for saying a certain word, but it's, you know, how people perceive the way you are communicating is the reason why you are placed in this metaphysical pillory. But as I said, there's a voluntary aspect, and some people actually want to be placed in it, because it's attention, and people want attention. And I wonder if people in the Middle Ages who were placed in the wooden, physical pillory, I wonder if some people wanted that too. I bet they did. I bet there was somebody who enjoyed it. I bet there was some guy, some thief, somebody who stole something, who didn't even want to steal, they just wanted to be placed in the pillory. They were like, you know, people aren't noticing me enough. I'm going to steal an apple so that, they, so that I get some attention. It's almost like a fetish. And why is that not a fetish? People are into bondage and all this, you know, BDSM stuff. You know, where are all the pillories? You know, where are all the pillories with all these, you know, adventurous, uh, deviant people? I mean, I, I say that, it's probably there somewhere. Somebody's got one. Somebody's got a dungeon, a pleasure dungeon with a pillory in it. Somebody's got it, but you know there were people way back hundreds of years ago who, you know, voluntarily did something that they knew would require that punishment so that they would be placed in the pillory. You know that they, somebody did that, but now people are certainly doing that because it is a path to attention, and the thing is, I, I feel like people keep themselves in it once they're in it there are people who do things to you know get that kind of attention and get that kind of public outcry and because these avenues exist you know because because it's possible to say these things and to have people react the way they do instantly and the fact that we are so connected in this strange way in this world today with the internet with phones You know, it's created the opportunity to have this metaphysical pillory, and I don't know how it really would have existed, say, 30 years ago. Like, I'm trying to think of the 1980s and ways that this metaphysical pillory could have existed then. You know, maybe through gossip columns, you know, the news. I mean, it definitely wasn't as direct. Letters to the editor... I mean, there were definitely controversies. There was definitely public outcry. But I think, I think things were forgotten easier and engagement would die down. But now people have the opportunity to stay connected and people have the opportunity to keep themselves in that pillory. They can keep doing it to themselves. And I'm not blaming them necessarily because I think people are unfairly put in that position too. But as I said, it's... When you participate in all this stuff, all this stuff, this stuff, participating in this stuff, when you're participating in all this stuff, it's like you know that that is one possibility. It's like you're playing a game where you know that is one possibility. And unfortunately, this game is just this weird feeling of needing to be a part of it. You know, it's this need to communicate. Because that's what it all comes down to. It's this need to communicate that opens up the possibility of being punished in this way. Uh, But it does seem like there was this window of time where physical pillories were outlawed, but the metaphysical pillory didn't really exist yet. And I would have to look and see when pillories stopped being used officially. How come we don't celebrate that day? This is the day that pillories were, the last pillory was used. The last fella was taken out of the pillory and we never used it again. And I've seen a real pillory. I went to England as a teenager and I don't remember though if it was, because I went to the East Coast too as a teenager to the, you know, Washington, D.C., Virginia, that area, and I saw some, you know, colonial things. I think it was in England, though, that I saw a pillory. I hope it was in England. Although the idea of an American pillory, there's something there. I like the idea of an American pillory. But I've seen a real-life one that's been preserved, but I'd be curious when the last one was put in use in the Western world, and why we don't celebrate that day. Uh, because it turns out we were just waiting for an opportunity to create this metaphysical version, this metaphysical subcategory, because that's part of the subcategory. If we have subcategories of pillories, you know, ones where you lock your fingers in, ones where you lock you know, your wrists, ones where you lock your head and your arms, we also have the metaphysical one. It's just one subcategory of the pillory. So it's just that our our subcategories continue to expand um, even though the physical structure itself is no longer in use. But I do like that I've seen one. I like that I have... I can't remember if they allowed you to put your head in it. I want to... F- I feel like there's a photo of me out there with my head in a pillory. I'd have to go through the the family photo collection, but I feel like you were allowed to do that. And it's funny, too, because there's those things that we... at, like, uh, fairs and pumpkin farms they have those wooden structures with the head cut out and you stick your head through it and it looks like your face is on like a scarecrow's body or uh, anyth- anything. They have endless variations of these things, but just the one that comes to mind is they'll have like a painting of a bunch of scarecrow's or, you know, Halloween sort of characters and the face is cut out and you, stick- you and everybody else sticks it through and sometimes there's like a baby character so that, you know, an adult can stick their face through and it looks like they're a baby, although it really doesn't. It just looks like somebody sticking their face through a wooden structure that's painted at a fair or a pumpkin patch. Uh, But that's sort of a version of the pillory. That's sort of a version of the voluntary pillory. But it's the photo op pillory. It's the fun photo op pillory. Make yourself look like you're a scarecrow. Which, when you think about the real pillory, the punishment pillory, it's sort of forcing someone to be a scarecrow, too. It's like, you got to stay right here, and birds can perch on you. And, uh, and you're, you serve as a warning to everybody. You serve as a cautionary tale. And you, know, you think about people being cautionary tales. Oh, that's the guy who drank too much. Uh, that's the guy who who did too much LSD and he can't stop playing with a slinky. That's the guy who did the wrong thing and now he's in a pillory. Make sure you have some rotten fruit to throw at him. What would we throw at people today if they were in an actual pillory? That's something I was thinking about, too, is the idea is that everyone threw rotten fruit at these people, but what would we throw at them today? I doubt it would be rotten fruit. Would it be hamburgers? Would we throw hot dogs at them? I feel like it would just be junk food. You know, it can't be anything that would physically hurt them, because that kind of defeats the whole purpose of the pillory. You're not supposed to maim them, to my knowledge. Uh, But what would we throw at them today? I feel like it would be the same things that people litter. The same things that you see as litter on the side of the road... The same sort of food, fast food, I think, in particular, would be one of the things we throw at them. I'm just imagining a hamburger still in the wrapper, or just partially in the wrapper. Like, you know when someone, like, doesn't take the hamburger completely out of the wrapper? They leave it about halfway in, because they don't want to put their fingers on the actual hamburger, so they, like, leave it halfway in the wrapper. I imagine people would throw hamburgers that way. A partially wrapped hamburger... What are we going to throw at this guy in the pillory? A partially wrapped hamburger. We suggest a partially wrapped hamburger. Like mustard and ketchup splattering on some guy's face. But no, I imagine we would throw things like that. We would throw, you know, milkshakes. I mean, that even happened. That was something that happened at a political rally a few months ago. That was the big controversy, is that people were throwing milkshakes. They were splattering milkshakes On somebody they disagreed with and that just speaks for itself i mean that's a direct you know it doesn't get closer to you know a pillory than that it was some and it was a situation too where without getting into specifics because i don't even really know them Uh, It was a guy who had already been metaphysically pilloried online because of his political views. So when he came to some rally, they threw milkshakes at him. So you see where that's just a direct parallel to what I'm talking about right now, where it was somebody who was already in the metaphysical pillory on the Internet, and they decided to throw food at him. I mean, that's exactly, it just shows you. It just shows you that is exactly what I'm talking about here. But yeah, I think people would throw milkshakes. I think they would throw things from the dollar menu at a fast food drive-in. People would drive through the the fast food line, the drive-through, and they would uh, get stuff from the dollar menu to throw at the guy who's in the pillory, if we still had them. And the fact that people threw milkshakes or like splattered milkshakes on a guy just proves my point. But still, I think people would throw partially wrapped hamburgers. They might not know it now, but they—if the op- just like people don't know what noises they would make if they were to see somebody in a pillory, uh, they don't know what food they would throw at them either until they had the opportunity. And I believe partially wrapped hamburgers would be the food of choice. I believe that they would throw maybe handfuls of, you know, cheetos and chips although that would be really unsatisfying i don't feel like that would really have an effect first of all you know chips wouldn't go very far like imagine throwing a handful of potato chips at somebody it just wouldn't be satisfying it probably it'd be like a shitty paper airplane where you know how like if you don't know how to make a paper airplane and you throw it how it just falls down right in front of you i feel like that's what throwing potato chips would be like even though physically they're not like a paper airplane at all now, my, my going theory, until proven wrong, is that partially wrapped hamburgers would be the preferred object to throw at somebody in a pillory, if pillories still existed today, as they once did. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if there's any escaping the pillory, I don't know if there's any escaping, and and by that I don't mean like getting out of a literal physical pillory, because we all know there's no escaping that, because you're locked in, but I wonder if there's any escaping that basic idea, because as I'm talking about, we've created this new invisible form of pillory that people sometimes willingly step into, but that people, you know, crowds... Force people into, too, based on their reaction. Like, as I said, abstract crimes require abstract punishments, but the structure is still there, even though it's not physical and it's become metaphysical, that structure of the pillory is still there, and I wonder if there's any escaping that. As long as we have communities, as long as we have crowds, as long as we have a need to react to the way people behave... Uh, you know, I, I wonder if there's any escaping that basic format. And as new technology develops, and as we mutate and morph mentally and physically, hopefully physically, <laughs> uh, you know, because it's like if we grew an extra set of arms, you know, we'd, we'd find a way to, we'd, we'd just have to build new pillories to accommodate that. You know, imagine if you came across that, a four armed pillory. That'd be a new subcategory of pillories. If, like, we discovered some undiscovered ancient civilization in some part of the world, and we, we found towns that they had abandoned, we found the ruins of some town they had lived in, some village, and there was a pillory there and it had slots for four arms, it'd really make you wonder. Were there four-armed people here? But that's the thing, that if humans did grow extra arms, we'd just add more slots to the pillory. And as we become these much more mental creatures... I don't know if that's true. I don't know if we're becoming more cerebral. I don't know if we're becoming more psychically oriented... But I do know that this increased communication, this increased capacity for communication, these new means of direct communication, uh, I do know that those have evolved to accommodate. Those have, I don't know if accommodation is really the right word. <laughs> we're going to provide you with uh, suitable accommodations, we're going to accommodate you. By placing you in a pillory, we're going to provide you with accommodations, and by that we mean extra slots, but we've created these extra mental slots, I think that's what I'm getting at, is so, you know, we haven't grown an extra set of arms, therefore we didn't find the need to add extra arm slots into our physical pillories, but I do feel like our minds have created these new slots, and those slots have been placed in or it's not that our minds have new slots, our minds have these new dimensions or these new elements. And as our minds have developed these new elements, we've had to create new slots for the metaphysical pillory, or just the existence of the metaphysical pillory itself is a bigger slot into which these new elements of our mind now fit. Uh, <laughs> and we have new subcategories. You know, so it's, pillories are not extinct. They're still around. I think that's what I'm getting at in all of this. Uh, But, you know, as we develop new categories and new slots, you know, I wonder whether there will be a point where we don't have some form of this. It might be invisible right now, and maybe that's one step further on us getting rid of it, but it doesn't seem like we're getting rid of it anytime soon. The basic idea behind it still seems to have a function. And it makes me think, too, of, you know, Foucault's Panopticon, the idea of this prison structure where the inmates are observing each other, and you never truly know who is watching you at any given time or who is monitoring you or who's who's really in charge of you. You know, the idea of the Panopticon, I recommend looking that up because it's really a great metaphor for the way the Internet has developed, the way all of these things have developed. Because uh, I, I feel like the Internet is just kind of an old-fashioned word now. You know, when you say the internet, it's something people are doing on the internet. I feel like that word is old fashioned or at least limited in some way. I don't think internet really describes what is going on when you combine the physical world, the online world, the phone world, and these things intersect in so many different ways. They've really created something new that we are participating in that goes well beyond this thing that you used to log into through an AOL account and you know, with a modem. I feel like it's gone so far beyond that that just saying the internet or just, you know, saying one thing or another, trying to describe anything like that with one catch-all term is just not accurate anymore. It's just not accurate. Um, But uh, I do feel it is accurate to refer to this punishment process as a metaphysical pillory. And I'm curious to see how that develops, because clearly we haven't lost this need to do that as a species. Clearly we still have the capacity. Maybe it's not a need, but we still have the capacity to do that, therefore we do it. Because if we have the capacity to do something, we tend to do it. That tends to be the, the trend among human beings. If we have the capacity, we will do it. But I'm curious how long that capacity will be here and as things change, as we go deeper into this interconnected cerebral world, uh, or at least, like, because, I mean, I feel like, too, like these things are a simulation of something that already exists between humans naturally. Because psychic phenomenon, doesn't matter how you want to define them or, you know, what your views on them, you know, we think about, what other people are thinking. And in some cases, we know what other people are thinking. And it's not mind reading. It's that there is a deep connection between people that is invisible and that goes on in people's thoughts and within their heads. And I feel like all of this stuff is just a sim, not a simulation, but a, a synthesized version of that. These things that can't be defined by one word, like internet, You know, I feel like they are a, if not a simulation, some sort of synthesis of a process that already goes on naturally between humans, and the fact that we play it out in this using these things like the internet or phones or books, for that matter. The fact that we we sort of act these things out in those ways is just a. It's, it's, a, it, it's a form of synthesizing a process that already goes on in our heads and between each other already. And in that way, it's, we, we've always had a metaphysical pillory of some kind. Because the fact that someone even came up with the idea to create a wooden structure like that, and that they were able to... The fact that they were able to not just come up with the the design... Not just that they were able to engineer the structure itself, but they were able to think out that structure. They were able to come up with a reason to create that structure and a reason to put people in that structure. That tells you that the metaphysical pillory always existed. And in creating that physical structure to place people in, we were just, you know taking the idea and making it a reality, and so now we're back at a point where we're just acting out the idea again, so it's like at some point we we just had that idea where, you know, the community turned on somebody, the community decided to single somebody out, whether it was deserved or undeserved, you know, both are, both happen, you know, people end up in pillories for both deserved and undeserved reasons. Uh, But people were acting out the idea of that much earlier on, and so they created a physical way to act the idea out, and now we're back to just focusing on the pure idea, and we don't even realize we're focusing on it. So the physical pillory itself was some synthesized version of something that was already going on in the way that humans treat each other and communicate on a communal level, And so it's not crazy that we ended up acting the idea out again on the Internet or in the public sphere, in this weird, invisible, psychic space that we call the public sphere, the world stage. It's not surprising that we are acting it out again, but more abstractly. Because in its essence, the pillory is abstract, in its essence, it is an idea. Because how could you possibly just come up with something like that on a whim? It would have to be an idea. So with that in mind, the pillory has always been metaphysical. And I'm really curious to see the ways that we act it out in the future. We may decide that the real physical pillory needs to come back. We may decide that that's a just punishment again. I don't think you can ever rule out that possibility that something that we once considered relevant is irrelevant again. So you may be seeing pillories in 10 years. And don't say, uh, don't blame me. Don't blame me if you see a human being in a pillory in America in 10 years. Don't blame me if you feel this sudden compulsion to throw a partially wrapped hamburger at a person in a pillory in 10 years. Don't blame me. I'm just the prophet. I'm the pillory prophet. And when your kids are going around singing P-I-L-L-O-R-Y, again, don't blame me. I'm just the pillory prophet. This land is mine God gave this land to me